So we've been doing a couple of things. Um, for a while now, we've been in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, and we've been doing a series there. And I know it's, it's been a couple of weeks off, and so when we return to it next week, I know we'll have to do it like a, a Netflix thing where we like, this is what happened up until this point, and we'll get all refreshed, and then we're not going to take another break again until we're done with 1 Samuel. So we're going to cruise through. But today we are... Um, continuing what has been a year-long rhythm of taking the first Sunday of every month to talk about a particular spiritual discipline. So a practice of the way of Jesus that we believe is central and core to the life of following Christ. Practices and disciplines that index our hearts and our lives in the way of love, in the way of the kingdom. And this month, we're talking about, this is our last practice, and we're talking about simplicity. And this goes along with an adult educational hour class that will start today. And if I had to define simplicity, this is how I would define that particular practice. It's learning to live with less so that you can give more of your life away to others and more of your time to the things that matter to God. Let me say that again, because that sounded good. That sounded like something I want, and maybe you want too. Simplicity is learning to live with less so that you can give more of your life away to others and more of your time to the things that matter to God and for eternity. This is how Jesus said it, and we're followers of Jesus. He said, life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Simplicity is just the practice that tries to embody that teaching. It's asking oneself, does my life honor that reality? That life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so in Joe's class, she's going to talk about what that means for our closets and our lives and our stuff and our hearts. Because before simplicity is, uh, has an effect on your wallet or your bank account or your closet, it is a reality that's felt deeply in your heart. In other words, an outward lifestyle of Simple living, modesty, minimalism, if you're, you want the fat, like faddish words, generosity, it is rooted in a heart of contented strength. Contentment is the engine of simplicity. Contentment is the cool breeze that God uses to extinguish the fire of more in our hearts. It's what releases us into a simple life. And so today I want to talk about that. What is the heart of simplicity? And I think it's contentment. And so I want to take us to Philippians chapter 4, where Paul talks about the secret of contentment. And I think it's a wonderful text to introduce us to this discipline. It's a famous text. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Let me read it to you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking from prison, just having received a financial gift from the Philippian church. It is not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we look at this text, would you help us to learn the secret of contentment? Like when a child whispers in our ear, would we lean in to hear you whisper this secret? Would we pay attention so that we might, in every circumstance, learn what it means to be content? We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. Contentment, it's a rare jewel. Let's try to learn about it here. Uh, The first thing that we learn is that contentment was something that Paul had to learn. Twice he uses the word learn. Once in verse 11 and once in verse 12. Which means that contentment didn't come naturally to Paul as it does not come naturally to any of us. Let's class exhibit A, Adam and Eve. In the garden, the first human beings, God says, you may eat of any tree in this rad garden, minus one tree. It's off to the side. Don't worry about that tree. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of every other tree you may eat. And which tree did Adam and Eve eat from? The one tree. In a garden full of yeses. They wanted the one thing that they couldn't have. In a garden teeming with the generosity of God, they wanted the one thing that they couldn't have. This one thing just out of our reach. In a closet full of shoes. In a house full of... In a life full of... We want the one thing that we don't have yet. I see it in my kids. I remember one Christmas, sorry Abel, I'm going to use, I didn't ask you about this, but I'm going to do it. So he was really, he was really into Paw Patrol and uh, we, he had gotten a lot of Paw Patrol stuff. He had gotten like all the different dudes, he'd gotten the different versions of all of the people. Like he had gotten the guy and the snowboard guy 
And he had gotten the bulldozer guy. He had gotten them in all of their different outfits. He got the, the pup's hideout. Um, the truck. And we had this big party. And he's opening all these things. And afterwards, he looks a little sad. And I said, what, what's the matter, buddy? He said, I didn't get the helicopter. It was the one thing out of all of the toys that we didn't have. The one thing, children in all their uncensored glory, and they are mirrors of our souls. I remember him that year. Abel, what is it you want for Christmas? Answer, Daddy, I want everything. (laughs) And by our standards, his everything was pretty minimalistic. Because what he meant was, I want some Paw Patrol stuff, including the helicopter. I want, I want a donut. Honestly, what he was saying is, I want more screen time. You know, the adult list is much longer. If you were going to summarize us as human beings, a good word would be desire. We are people of desire, of wanting, of longing. And what we want is happiness. We want fulfillment. We want peace. We want contentment. And that desire is not the problem. It's just that we've tied the idea of fulfillment and happiness to having more. We've tied it to our circumstances. But that isn't Paul's perspective on contentment. Because the second thing we learn about contentment is that it has nothing to do with our circumstances. Listen to Paul. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every, what's the word, circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what makes those verses so profound is that they're directly opposed to how we're conditioned And trained to think about contentment. Um, We buy into the formula that when I get X, I will be content. Then I will be happy. And then we get the, the glorious thing. Sometimes we get what we're looking for. The promotion, the job, the relationship. And it's glorious for like a half hour. A week, a month, a year. And then the goalpost moves to the next thing that you need. And we just tend to go on to the things outside of us to bring peace on the inside of us. We want to find contentment by changing our circumstances. That's just not how the Bible thinks about it at all. Contentment, Paul says, is not worked from the outside in. It's from the inside out. Contentment isn't achieved by changing our circumstances, but by redirecting our desires changing our desires. It's about recognizing where we place our desires, our hope, our trust. You listen to Paul and he says, I've been up and I've been down. I've been in the classroom of abundance and in the classroom of suffering and I've learned lessons about life that have led me to be more content. And he says, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. Of what I learned. The lessons I've learned. 
And the two lessons are this. Abundance isn't all it's cracked up to be. And suffering can only take so much from you. Abundance isn't all it's cracked up to be. And suffering can only take so much from you. First, abundance isn't all it's cracked up to be. Look at verse 12. I know what it means to be in need, and I know what it means to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want. He's saying, I have learned to be content in plenty. I have learned to cope with having too much. How many of us know that abundance comes with its own problems? So, some quotes from the wisdom literature. This is Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9. The wisdom writer says, there's two things that I pray for all the time. And then he says this. Remove from me falsehood and lying. So that's the first thing he prays for. This is the second. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. How many of y'all have ever prayed that before? Don't, don't give me poverty. I know that one. I can, and one, I can handle that part. That makes sense to me. But you know, I think I can handle riches. For your glory, God. <laughs> you know, I, will be, I promise. I'm pretty good at riches, though. For your kingdom. You know, I can pray that, but we don't pray that. Don't give, don't give me too much. Just give me enough. That's what the Lord asks us to pray every day. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So the the man who has a lot is losing sleep, uh, typically because of worry in the scriptures. Because the more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have to store, the more you have to manage, the more you have to care for. We all know the studies, don't we? That the more stuff that you have, typically the more stressed out you are. Uh, I I thought about, uh, I thought about uh, Kate and I, and early in our marriage, we lived in a house that did not have a dishwasher. Or we did. I was the dishwasher. Welcome. Did you look at the dishwasher? And I never broke down. And it was just a, it was just a rhythm that we would, in a joyful part, a liturgy of our lives that I would wash, we would wash the dishes at night with our hands and you can do that. That's a thing that you can do and that people have done for a long time and it's not hard and, and then we got a dishwasher and the dishwasher was great because you can put the dishes in the dishwasher and you know how dishwashers work, it's great. But then the dishwasher broke. And it's the stress that it caused. Oh no, the dishwasher broke. I have to call the guy to fix the dishwasher. And what will happen to the dishes? 
before they come. Now we will only have dirty dishes. And you forget. And your day's ruined. And you're making 85 calls and you forgot. I was really happy. And our life was fine. Without a dishwasher. There's this warping of reality that can happen. Where we, the things that are just creature comforts in our lives, they, they like stress us out. They're not stuff we need. They're stuff we want. We confuse our wants and our needs and we have, we stress out about rich people problems. There's this parable. I thought about this this week too. A parable that Jesus tells about the rich fool. Do you remember this parable? So, uh, he's already rich and he has barns full of produce. But one year the land produces more than he could ever imagine. And of course, he's not the one producing it. It's the land. And he's not the one harvesting it. It's his workers. But he thinks it's all him. And he's got a problem. What am I going to do with all this stuff? Because the full barns that I already have aren't going to be able to to have all this produce. So what does he do? He tears down his old barns and he builds bigger barns. And then he gets to do it, the bigger barns, and he says, finally, uh, I'm fine. Uh, what does he say? Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God preaches a, a contradicting mini-sermon to him, saying, fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and the things you have prepared Whose will they be? There's a little bit of the fool in all of us. I thought about bigger barns and then I thought about when we bought this building. We weren't always in this building. We were in a smaller building. And it didn't have as many cool things. And it was a simpler building in many, many ways. I'm glad we have this building. It is a gift from God. But I worry a lot about the building. And there's a lot of expense that comes with a bigger building. You have all these beautiful stained glass windows. And did you know you have to restore the stained glass windows and then it costs about a gazillion dollars to re-lead and fix your windows? And if you don't, then the bats get in. And when the bats get in, the the ladies don't want to come to church anymore. And when the ladies don't want to come to church anymore, the men don't want to come to church anymore. And then you don't have church anymore. (laughs) And it takes more money to do stuff. And that, you know, and I can find myself getting really worried about the big building that we have and how are we going to do it. And then every once in a while, the Lord just comes to me and says, Ben, what if you didn't have windows? What if you didn't have electricity? Could you still minister to one another? Could you still preach the gospel? Could you still pray? Are there not people on a dirt floor in Haiti just singing a cappella and worshiping God in this particular moment. The prayers don't cost anything. The fellowship doesn't cost anything. The love doesn't cost anything. The freedom of the gospel doesn't cost anything. And yet, what do I spend my life worrying about? What makes the man a fool? He has moored his ship to things that can be taken away. 
and that don't last for eternity. There's only so much that this world can offer. And there's only so much that it can be taken away. That suffering can take away. Paul is writing this from prison. And he's writing with joy. That's what Philippians is known as. It's known as the epistle of joy. He doesn't care that he's suffering. He has found contentment in the midst of his lack. Because he knows what God can do with suffering. He's seen God use suffering to help himself. He's seen God use suffering to advance the gospel. He's seen God use suffering in his life to increase a hunger in his souls for the things that matters. He believes in the afterlife, which means that all these opportunities aren't taking away his one shot, you know. But they're preparing him for what will be his, like, eternal shot. And so he thinks about sufferings. He thinks about sharing into the sufferings of Christ so that he might ultimately partake in his resurrection. There's only so much that this world can take away from you. I thought about this C.S. Lewis quote this week. He said, we ought to give thanks for all fortune. And he's talking about the circumstances of life. We ought to give thanks in all circumstances. If it is good, because it is good. If bad, because it works in us patience, humility, and contempt of this world, and the hope of an eternal country. James describes it this way, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And Paul says, I've had the best that the world has had to offer. And I found that it's not what it's cracked up to be. And I've been in the toughest situations you can imagine. And I've learned that the Lord can meet you there too and use those things to prepare you for glory. I've learned those lessons. And then he gives us the last verse. And we know this is the verse we know. This is the good one. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. One of the most quoted verses in the Bible. One of the most misapplied verses in the Bible. Think about the context in which you've seen such a verse. T.M. Tebow's Eye Black. Evander Holyfield on the back of his robe. Philippians 4.13, as if God had in mind Holyfield knocking out Tyson when he wrote that verse. Um, I played some sports in high school, all very poorly, but I do remember an obnoxious guy <laughs> in, uh, when we would do bench press max, who every time he would go to like press 450 pounds or whatever, he was a huge guy, he'd be like, Philippians 4.13! <laughs> 413, baby! That's. <laughs> Paul, Paul isn't making 
a categorical statement here. In other words, I'm tall. I'm 6'2", but I can't dunk a basketball. I don't have a very high vertical. doesn't matter how many times I quote Philippians 4.13, memorize it, uh, drink a copy. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. You have to lower the goal, which when I play Abel, I do, to seven foot, and I just dunk on him all day long. Just slam it. It's awesome. But the fact that I can't dunk on a regular basketball hoop, it has nothing to do with my unbelief. It has everything to do with my height and my ability. And what Paul is saying, Paul isn't saying, I'm in prison here. And by saying Philippians 4.13, that means I'm going to break these chains, body slam these guards, break out of prison, 4.13, baby! The phrase all things has to be governed by its context. And the context is about finding contentment in all situations. And so this ESV would get it right if it put the word these before things. I can do all these things, meaning plenty and want, meaning abundance and need. And of course, the irony is, is that This verse gets misquoted as an encouragement to do more and to get more. That I can achieve my dreams and my goals. But when God inspired Paul to write this, he inspired him to write it as an explanation of why we can live with less. He's content even though his dreams haven't come true. I mean, you'll see this on like the, the, in marathons all the time. And if you've worn this or you have this tattoo, man, that's cool. I get it. I probably, I will too. But what this text is saying is not that you can finish the marathon, but through Christ's strength, even if you got injured and didn't get to run the race, you have enough in him. This isn't a text about winning the football game. It's about how we respond when we get injured and we can't play football anymore. You're injured and you're out for the season. You failed to make the team altogether. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about getting the new job or the new house or the new outfit. It's about finding satisfaction in the job you already have, in the house you already own, in the wardrobe that's already hanging in your closet because you have Christ and because he's enough, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. This isn't a verse about being empowered to change our circumstances. It's a verse about relying on God's power in order to be content in the midst of the circumstances that you can't change. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. Another one of the things that my kids used to do, kids like to whisper. And so, you know, and sometimes they'll just come up and it's because it's fun, it's powerful to whisper like, I don't know, there's something about whispering. They'll just, it feels intimate to them, I think. Dad, come here, I have a secret to tell you about something. And then you come in, yeah, tell me your secret. And you have to lean in to hear a secret. I'm, I'm, I'm three years old. Thank you, thank you. 
like mac and cheese. Thank you, thank you. It just makes it feel more special to them. Did you know that Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker? I did know that. And it's very significant. And I'm glad that you know that too. And then, you know, Paul says, I have a secret. Why does he say a secret? It's not because it's hidden. He wants you to lean in. He's trying to create a moment of intimacy. He's using the word secret. He said, bring it in. And sometimes I'll say, oh, I have a secret for you kids. Bring it in. The kids will come in. And I'll say, I love you. I love you. And Paul comes in. I have the secret to contend in any situation. Plenty of when your dreams don't come true. There's something you need in moments of suffering abundance, need when you're full and when you're hungry. There's something I want you to know. Come here. God loves you. God loves you. And he's demonstrated his love for you in this. He's given his son for you. And if he has given his son for you, how will he not graciously along with him give you all things? Where does this contented strength come from? It comes from the love of God. And what you have in Christ Jesus, dear one. And when we find ourselves discontent, our job is to defeat that discontentment with a superior satisfaction. I can do anything in him, through him, with him. The secret to contentment is not self-denial and it's not self-indulgence. It's finding yourself in Christ's love for you. That is the secret to contentment and it is the engine of simplicity. And that's all I'm gonna say about that. (laughs) Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we want contented hearts, strong hearts, and each of us feels the restlessness and the need of more. You've given us a desire, hearts that want to seek happiness, fulfillment, contentment, but we look for it in things that can never give those things. They just, they hold out a promise of this is going to be fulfilling if you get this or if you have this or more of this. And uh, we just want to be able to learn the lessons of life. Will you help us to learn? To pay attention in times of abundance. When we buy that thing that we thought we needed and it comes and it doesn't satisfy our soul. Would that be just another lesson plan in in God's classroom to say that's not where you find joy, loved one. You find it in me. And when suffering tries to take away our joy, would your spirit turn our hearts to eternal things that we learn about the things that matter? Would that be like a little, um, a little lesson plan in the, in the classroom of life that says, friends, suffering can only take so much away from you. Through God's strength, you can endure all things. All these things. 
So help us to learn to be content in Christ because we will not be able to have an outward lifestyle that resembles Jesus' ethic until we have this inner peace. And so will you help us to have simple hearts solely focused on the joy and peace that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.